What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode, I'm interviewing Dan DeLue. Now, it's a bonus episode, so we're focusing on Endgame, and particularly his work in the visual effects, and how he oversaw the entire visual effects of both Infinity War and Endgame. So if you're a fan of the Marvel Universe, you're definitely going to want to check that out. Before we get into things, I'd like to thank Naraj Patel for cutting this episode, and with all that said, here's my interview with Dan DeLue. To start off, I'm wondering what you would say has changed from uh, when you moved into the film Endgame. Well, I think we, you know, we kept kind of two different focuses, right? Because we worked with Digital Domain and Weta on Infinity War, and then we worked with, you know, both again on on Endgame. And so it was kind of interesting between the two, kind of the kind of the core technologies that were kind of happening between the two studios. But you know, Digital Domain, you know, kind of leaned very heavily into kind of the machine learning aspect of it. So it was something with their Thanos, it's because, you know, how the algorithm works is the more information you give it, the better it gets at solving, you know, the correct facial shape. So like if you have Josh Brolin and he's kind of performing the character, you know, the software will then attempt to reproduce what his performance is. And, you know, basically you kind of grade it and say, this is a good solve and this is a bad solve. So with their software for Endgame, they had all of Infinity War as kind of data for it, right? They kind of came into Endgame, you know, smarter than it was, you know, in, smarter in quotes, smarter than it was when we started uh, Infinity War. And then with Weta, they kind of kept working with their Deep Shapes software. And it was something that they then had kind of modified the code a little bit so that you could go in and look at kind of the more subtle movements that the actor's face was doing. And they kind of programmatical way and analytical way. So it's, you know, you kind of get into that area where, you know, what takes you out of the uncanny valley is, you know, the subtlety of the movement um, in an actor's face. And so they actually adapted their code to be able to recognize even more of that. And so bring that into Thanos and Endgame. So if you kind of compare the weather shots, you know, Thanos has much more kind of minute detail subtlety that's kind of derived uh, more directly from the actor's performance. Wow. And do you ever get an urge? I mean, obviously, you'd have to bring in a large team, but to go back and like update the old uh, Infinity War? Oh, yeah. You always... <laughs> I mean, it'd be obviously be very expensive, yeah. but, be... <laughs> but I would, after seeing that, like the changes, I'd be like, oh, I really want to go back and tweak this. Yeah, I know. You always, you know, the shots are like, not like your kids per se, but they're definitely, you know, they're, they're a creation and you always want to go in, you know, you don't want to go changing what the, the essence of what the story was with them. But yeah, you'd always want to go back and tune things up if you got a chance. Now, you sort of touched on like the actor's performance and the importance of that. And one of the things I in one of the interviews researching for this, you talked about Smart Hulk and how Mark Ruffalo's performance was specifically different from Roland's performance with Thanos. And so I'm wondering, what do you look for in the performance from the different actors when you're doing a character live on set, sort of dressed up in their in their gears? What do you look for in that? Yeah, you, know, you, you kind of design the rigs and you design the sculpts so that you can capture the, the kind of the essence, you know, the spark of life, if you will, from what you've taken from the actor itself and then and bringing it into the digital character, right? So you've got, you know, Brolin gave us this very subtle performance, very intense performance. So it wasn't something where it was kind of this very broad villain. We kind of went into it thinking, you know, it's going to be a you know, very demonstrative character, you know, and your kind of typical movie villain. And Josh took it a direction where it was just very subtle. And so we knew we had to be able to capture that subtlety. And the 
kind of the weight and the gravitas of what's actually in, in Josh's performance and, and capture that. With Ruffalo, it was kind of the other end where he's, you know, he's very broad and open and bright. And so it's, you know, the performance is much more, you know, his face is much more elastic, but you're beyond the kind of the technical aspects of that. It's the idiosyncrasies that make each character you know, you find, you can see, find the underlying actor, you can find the underlying performance, but there's that kind of hard to quantify personality, spark of life, twinkle in the eye, you know, how they hold their mouth. You know, it's not just making the lip sync right. It's it's recognizing the character. And it was something that with uh, Smart Hulk, when we were still developing him and kind of, you know, leveraging off of what we had learned from Thanos in the previous movie, something that ILM took a interview with Ruffalo, part of the testing that you know, we had done some motion capture with, with Ruffalo as well. But part of the software was the, its ability to look at Mark, you know, from, you know, you can use the helmet cam to, you know, get data for his performance. But then they were also taking running footage of just Mark doing an interview for like another film that he had worked on. And basically the solver looked at that imagery and then applied it to the geometry for Smart Hulk. And so when you're looking at it, you know, he's not necessarily performing his banner, but you're seeing all those little idiosyncrasies that make Mark Mark, you know, kind of his crooked smile you know the kind of life in his eyes and so when you when you recognize mark you know you have the performance but then you can actually recognize the essence of what mark is when he's doing kind of this passionate thing but he was excited about the movie you know you're reading that passion you're reading the emotion not just the lines of dialogue because you know so much of like what you know animation was prior to the last few years was just you know bun shapes and you know like the oohs and ahs and ease and oohs and like all the facial you know, facts you know like the facial shapes to get someone to feel like they're talking and that's where you got stuck in the uncanny valley because you just got stuck with trying to find this dialogue but when you can actually find the minute detail in their actual facial performances that make the actors give them that genuine quality of acting and transfer that over to the digital character that's when you know you've kind of nailed it so do you in a situation like that because i come from an editing background so we're always constantly trying to adjust performance through the cuts so in something like this do you guys feel comfortable adjusting the actor's performance through the visual effects in some way or tweaking it or do you try to rely more on what you capture to stay out of the uncanny valley yeah that's it well that's a coming it's an interesting combination because it's like software can do as good as it can right you know you again it's getting smarter it's getting better and it's better but it's also when you're retargeting it and you're revamping it because of the two types of characters that they are their character shapes is a distortion of you know their face right it's an exaggeration so sometimes when the cheek moves you know whatever distance on on mark you know then that's amplified because the cheeks are so much bigger on the hulk and you'll have to dampen that down and, and kind of you know you tweak the rig and everything kind of make that work but the golden rule was you the touchstone was always what mark did right it wasn't like we were actually trying to change the performance because you know working with jeff ford our picture editor you know jeff's always been very specific that he's picked this performance for a reason and to the exacting detail you know with the line delivery the smart the the feeling of the eyes and so if you get something in you kind of you would see it ourselves and then, and then Jeff would see it when he would cut it in it's just like it was not the performance he picked because if it was the performance he would have picked another take so no matter what we did we'd always try to match to the performance and then you get in the reviews and then you might you know tweak a smile a little bit but it was always you know and then we get arguments in the room and it's like well just match Mark do this do that whatever but it was always just you know always the golden rule was to kind of reproduce the actor's performance and then that way they felt comfortable with us too because when we would show them tests early on and just say, hey, look, you know, you don't have to act through the helmet cam. You don't have to exaggerate. You can just, you know, just be comfortable in knowing that what performance you're giving us or recording is the performance that's going to come out the other side on the digital characters. 
you also worked on the you know the final battle which is uh, pretty epic so i'm i'm wondering how did you keep us oriented as an audience with so much happening in the visuals uh well, it's, it's yeah we always kind of set a precedent so we're going to versus it's like you know there's always the goal there's the rule you know there's kind of like rules with movies you know where like end game was the time heist civil war was the family dinner that went bad winter soldier was the 70s you know spy thriller conspiracy movie and so you know this one so there's always a kind of rule there's always a template and so when you look at the final battle you know it was always the template was the compass is that the you know the gauntlet has to get to the van right so you kind of break it up into pieces you know bounce attack they're in disarray you know they have to regroup Hawkeye shows up with the gauntlet and so you're always kind of going back and you know no matter what mayhem and craziness is going on around it with giant man and leviathons is that they're always trying to get the gauntlet to the van and so you always kind of ping it every once in a while so you know where it's at so much so that Steve has the line it's like anybody seen an ugly brown man <laughs> you know, so it kind of it's the visual stuff that we're doing at the visual section it's, it's the dialogue you know helping us out too so you know that always kind of gave us the target of where we're going and then you know kind of building the action around that and then you get to the van and then it blows up and then it subverts what you were doing and then you get to fight with Thanos at the end so you know, that was kind of the mission statement and then at that point you just you know you're in previs with the previs artists and then you're just kind of you have fun around that and so wouldn't it be cool if this happened would be cool if this happened cool this happened and the mayhem starts because you've got a entire effects department's comic fans you've got a previs department's comic book fans you've got your entire stunt team's comic book fans and it's you know it's non-stop just everybody trying to top each other's ideas you know and kind of get them into the film so what would you say in that big battle scene what would you say is is the moment you're most proud of or the the moment that you think really shows off the visual effects power within that large scene it's interesting it's an interesting battle because it's like you've got kind of the aspect of visual effects which are really cool right so it's you come in and you blow up Thanos's ship right you know that was one of those days you know you're kind of getting shots in at the end of the show and you know you're working you know 12 14 hours a day and then suddenly like the shot shows up and it's like oh my god it's beautiful it's like the most amazing thing ever and you grab everybody and they run in the screening room and take a look at it so there's you know like the ship blowing up is was really great you know some of the, the water stuff they did or the folks did was really great you know Thanos flipping out was great Tony like when he passed away was all digital makeup on his face nothing was practical and so you know that aspect of it from the artistry side of it in terms of you know, achieving an image and then there's also the storytelling part of it that we got to be a part of too and you know being a part of getting cap fighting Thanos with Molinaire and you know it's just kind of it's just you have fun with that you know it's like you have the visual effects house as well you know they see the sequences and then you're kind of divvying up the shots between you know Weta and ILM and Dean Egg and, and you're kind of uh, you know they all see the shots and I want to work on that shot I want to work on that shot I want to work on that shot so it's you know part of it too is you know, you're proud of the story you're being able to tell too and, and you know the kind of the lyrical quality too of the portals opening up you know and just it's all being very specific of how the portals open and how quickly Black Panther comes out and you know the escalation of all the different troops and armies coming out which is pretty amazing and then we've got the Wonder you know we did a Wonder when Tony came out of the Sanctum and Infinity War but we didn't really do kind of what Josh had done on the other two Avengers where you had kind of the big Wonder in the final battle going hitting all the different characters in the first Avengers and then the opening battle in, in Ultron, Age of Ultron. And so for this one, Joe's like, well, we got to do just the biggest winner ever. And like, so I'm like, okay, so we got to do the winner of all winners. And so we got into that. And that was, you know, like after, you know, you said, the Ventures Assemble and they charge in and, you know, you're just traveling through the, everybody charging in. So you've got all the Avengers there charging against Thanos' army and go up to Giant Man punching the Leviathan and then you come back down to Black Panther and Okoye and then you go back into the CG. So it was all these, all these different plates, live action plates 
are seen together with CG backgrounds. And so we could, you know, kind of spread the battle over multiple stages as we photographed it. Then you come back on a little beat of, beat of Dave Batista, you know, stabbing, you know, if you kind of watch the before and after, it's basically Dave hanging on the side of this kind of the big pad we wrapped in green of him, you know, doing the stab and then, you know, kind of go back up to the Iron Man. So it's, you know, it, it was, you know, it took that shot. It was kind of towards the end once it finally got turned over. So it had Weta was on it for like three months with 90 artists just assigned just to that one shot. And it was like one of the last shots to kind of get done at the very end. So that, that shot's really cool too. So yeah, lots, lots of really cool stuff to play with there. One of the things, again, you know, when you're working on films, sometimes things get cut or get altered. Or was there anything that you worked on or anything in the film in the VFX side that you were really proud of or loved, but in the end got tweaked or removed that you wish had sort of stayed in, but understanding for story it had to leave? There's one back on Infinity War, there's a gag where Thanos, it's still kind of in there where Thanos kind of throws the kind of spinning bolt at Tony. And it actually, in the story, it shot past him and then like blew up one of the big windmills. And it was like one of the coolest effect simulations I ever saw that I could take it out. I kept showing people again, like, look, look how cool this is. Put it back in, put it back in. You know, and then it was with Endgame, there weren't a lot of omits on Endgame. Because I think, you know, just in terms of the amount of time that we had to get it done, I mean, it was definitely something that, you know, the portal scene, it was something that through the different screenings, it was, you know, do we play it longer? Do we play it shorter? There was a version where we had all the Avengers there. You know, we had, it was, you know, the day, it's like, we had, there was like a few days in post where we had every actor there, right? So it's the coolest thing ever. You walk on stage and it's like every, and that's the happy scene, you know, the end when, when Tony passed away, you know, that the funeral scene was sad, but every other actor was there. But for the battle, we had everybody that was fighting was there and in their superhero outfits. And it's like craziest thing you've ever seen because it's like all the, half the Marvel universe, all the fighters wise were there. And so we had, you know, the shot that's in the movie where you have Cap say Avengers assemble. And so you're kind of running down the line of everybody and catches Molinaire, which is the craziest thing ever and coolest thing ever and says assemble. But there was also a shot where it was kind of this big panning shot that kind of had people coming out of the portals and it was kind of another shot that had everybody in it. In and of itself, it was this really cool shot for scale, but it didn't pay off in the same way as like having everyone kind of coming back and their own portals opening up. And so it was just trying to do scale versus story. And, you know, so my side, it's like you're rooting for the portal, portals, 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 because, you know, for us, it was interesting because it kind of it down for us. It's like Infinity War ended and we killed everybody. And you kind of, you know, anticipated that people would be sad, you know, because like all characters they love, you know, kind of what I think everybody was setting up to happen. And then, but, you know, we all knew that they were going to, they're going to be alive. It's like, that's no problem. They're going to come back eventually. Right. And so for the construction that was kind of that big other big epic shot where they all just would have been in one continuous shot, you didn't get that same kind of catharsis, you know, in the way where everybody's like their heroes are dead. And so then you go away with all the individual portals opening. And it's like you watch it with an audience and there's a shot where the portal opens up and it, it just, it times itself. Like you get chills watching it right in the theater where it's like, you know, the portal opens up and there's Dr. Strange. And everybody's like, yeah, it's Dr. Strange. And then, you know, Drax and, um, Mantis come out and they're like, yay, it's the Guardians. And then, you know, Star-Lord comes out and it's like, yay, it's, you know, when we did it deliberately, we knew, you know, we knew what we were doing. It's like Doctor Strange and then, you know, every, you know we really love Doctor Strange and you love, you know, Drax and Mantis and then you really love Star Wars and you bring Spider-Man out last and then, you know, the audience just goes crazy because, you know, Spidey's back and everything. So that was like super fun. Did you go to a theater when it was out? Because obviously you went probably to the showings that the studio put on for the cast and crew, but did you, you know, once it was out, go to the theater just to get the audience's reaction because that's one of the, my favorite things is to sort of sit in a theater and just feel you know their emotions 
Yeah, we were at the premiere and like, you know, I got the reactions at the premiere. A lot of people in the movie business and everything, but, it, you know, it played really well in the premiere. And then we were going out Saturday night and opening weekend and Joe Russo texts me and it's like, have you seen it in the theater? Have you seen it in the theater yet? And it's like, now we're going tonight. He's like, I know a guy at it over in the theater. I, I saved a row of seats. Let's go watch it over this afternoon. You know, they had seen it like on Friday night. I'm like, okay. And you go over and see it with everybody. Yeah. And everybody's, and it's fun. You know, you sit in the room and it's just like, yeah, you just kind of watch how it plays with everybody. And you, know, you kind of know they're, by how they react and who their favorite characters are and what, you know, how the scenes are working and kind of the women of Marvel that coming up and just people just kind of going nuts, you know, throughout all of it. It was really, really cool. It's so funny because I remember when The Dark Knight came out and I went to the theater on the opening night and the guy who sat beside me was dressed up as the bat phone. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, so excited and he had like a That's little hilarious. light. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, man. Um, what is something you learned from this film that you're going to take with you for the, the rest of your career, do you think? Oh, wow. Um, no one's asked me that question before. That's pretty good. Um, it was interesting. You know, there, I think there's a lot of things, right? And it's something that, you know, you learn a lot of techniques. You learn a lot of kind of a lot of storytelling from the Russos, you know, a lot of things from Jeff Ford, our editor, but editorially. And, and you know, we've learned a lot about how to kind of to push the envelope and kind of with Thanos, the things we learned with Thanos, you know, working with kind of DD and Weta and then working with ILM and uh, Framestore and Smart Hulk, you know, you can kind of take the techniques you've learned and, and kind of impart those, you know, to the other companies and kind of push everybody and kind of get the, the best they can out of the characters, you know, and there's that aspect of it as well. But I think the interesting thing is that I've always kind of said with these films, you know, it's the strength of the team in a way. It's like, you can't do something like this without the team. And it's like, like, you know, like, especially with the visual effects team, my team was just putting through so many shots, combining the two movies, you know, you've got about 5,000 shots between the visual effects shots between the more over 5,000 shots between the two films. And you, know, you can't just push through that much, you know, information without a solid team. And it's, and then, and then on top of that, it's, I think, you know, the movies work because it's, it's the right people at the right time. You know, it was something that we were able to put together a lot of us all together on winter soldier and then your civil war and then infinity war and end game and that camaraderie and experience and knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and how to support each other is what, got those movies done really i mean you take all the expertise and skill and science and artistry and take that into another situation and it would not work but if you had the right team from the russos to the writers you know to everybody on the crew that all worked together ultimately that's why the movies worked and it's like and that's something that's hard to reproduce and it doesn't always exist but i think going forward it's like that's something i think i would always try to find on a film so you can kind of you know take it to the next level and, and make movies work now, I have one last question I like to ask everyone I interview. What's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Guilty pleasure film? Oh, gosh, there's a lot of those. And like guilty pleasure, oh my God, like The Race. We'll throw that oh, in. Yeah. I saw that like in the queue <laughs> one day. I went back and watched The Race. And it was kind of like, oh man, uh, that was kind of like flash from the past. Um, let's see, what else will I watch? Um, but you know, Ghostbusters is a guilty pleasure. You know, it's like there's always movies that are on that you'll 
if it's, you know, you never lay on cable anymore, but if you, you'll stop and you'll watch it. But, you know, you know, my favorites are always like Raiders of Lost Ark and movie I kind of grew up on. It's one of my favorite. I'll always throw that in. But yeah, like any of the 80s kind of stuff, you know, you'll find that and you'll sit back and watch it again. And you'll, it's that thing where you go, oh, this is cool. And it's like, mm, that's what you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but then, you know, like the race, I watched that and then I got online. And it's like, you know, these guys that went out and like found the locations of where they shot everything. So I'm not alone in that guilty pressure, <laughs> guilty pleasure. There's other people like, oh, and they shot this here. They shot this here. This guy went and found like all the sets, like years of the building, all the houses they shot in like years later. So that guy's out there too. <laughs> <laughs> Are you excited for the the next Ghostbusters that they just announced? I saw the trailer. Yeah, it's 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 like you're, you're kind of like okay, you know. And then then Paul's I didn't realize Paul was in it, which is great. Paul's awesome. And but you're you're watching it and you're kind of like okay, I'm kind of in. And then you kind of get into the spores, mold, and fungus on the table, and you're kind of like oh, that's that's a nice throw because it just Netflix just came out with the movies that made us thing, like the toys that made us. And if you saw some of those, and then Ghostbusters was one of them. I had just watched that kind of like the couple of days before the trailer came out and uh, kind of like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, there might have something there. I hope so. I hope so. It felt good. It, yeah, I had that same nostalgia that I, you know, had when I saw the original back in the day. So, Well, thank you so much for letting me interview. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's a fun interview. Thank you. And good luck with the Oscars. I hope you win. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. So that was my interview with Dan. I'd like to thank Dan for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Naraj for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.